My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. Um, no, but it's funny whenever a uh, whenever a holiday shows up uh, and you're a pastor, you're like, okay, what do we do? Do we pause everything and do we say, all right, let's do a special, you know, like thing, right? Like let's make sure that we preach on whatever the holiday is going to be, or do we continue on in the series that we've been in? And uh, and so that was one thing while we were looking down. I was like, am I going to pause and talk about Thanksgiving, or are we going to continue on in the series? And uh, praise God, as you guys just saw, the word thanksgiving is three times in the passage that we happen to just happens to be in our series. So the Lord took care of it all. And I think that if I think if a passage says thanksgiving one time, it already constitutes as a thanksgiving message. But this is says three times. OK, so today is a thanksgiving message that we're continuing on in our sermon series. Yeah. All right. Go God. That's that's good stuff. Um, so. As you guys saw, we're in Colossians. We've been going through Colossians, a beautiful letter. And, uh, and as we've been in Colossians, we've really, I don't know if it's just me, maybe it's you, just pretend if it's not okay, but we've really grown to love the church there. We've, un- we've, we've grown to understand why Paul loves the church there, even though he's never been there, even though he didn't plant it. He speaks with them with so much love, and he says so many things to them. He, he talks about how they've grown in, in their love for other people. And he talks about how they have such a great faith. And he talks about how, how he wants them to grow. He, he, he's so protective of this church that he's never seen before. And I truly believe that if Paul were walking around today, I think he would still have that heart of protection over all the churches. He would still have that heart of protection over even our church. And we can feel his heart of protection, really, for our church and the Lord's heart of protection for our church as we're going through Colossians. And so he says things, you know, he says, you're a young church. And what I want you to understand is, is I'm praying that you grow in wisdom. Remember, we talked about growing in wisdom. He wants them to grow in knowledge. He wants them to understand the person of Christ. Isn't that so important? As a, as a young church, as a young believer, it's important to understand the person of Christ. He wants them to understand this. Listen, the irreversible redemption that has taken place in their hearts. Irreversible. He's saying, look, nobody can take it away. You've been redeemed through Jesus Christ. And not only just Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ who is God. He wanted them to understand the deity of Christ. He wanted them to take part in telling others about that redemption. And he wants them to walk in Christ. He begs them. He says, I want you to walk in Christ. Why? So that they'll be solidified in their faith. And he says, and be careful not to be taken captive by teachings, by these false teachings that come in, these teachings that want to add to Jesus, these teachings that want to say, oh, yeah, it's Jesus, but it's also something else. And we, and, and we saw Paul really go into that last week whenever he called out uh, several different false teachings. Who remembers what those three were? I mean, it's quiz time. Mysticism. Mysticism was number two. Asceticism. Asceticism. What? 
And what? Legalism. Yeah, see, I know people that didn't show up for like that is incredibly riveting. I would I'm gonna go back and listen to that because it sounds wonderful. <laughs> don't worry, we broke down the words, okay? We don't just say a bunch of big words here. But uh, but um, but if you missed it, you can go back and listen to it because we've got to be careful about these things. We've got to be careful about these teachings that come in and want to take over, right? And so he says, I want you guys not to be taken captive by other teachings. And then he says, um, he says, I want you to put your faith and trust in Christ alone. And, uh, and today we're going to look at, at Paul expounding on something that he said at the beginning of chapter 2. So I want you guys to see this scripture real quick. He says uh, in chapter 2, verse 6 through 7, all right? He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, all right, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Everybody say walk in him. Walk in him. Okay. And he says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in what? It's a Thanksgiving message. See? Right there. And that was out of chapter 2. So we talked a few weeks back about how walking in Christ, all right, living as Christ lived, following Christ with our lives, walking in Christ leads us to being rooted in Christ and built up in Christ. And how doing so leads to a firm faith. How many of you guys want to have a firm faith? I'm talking about a faith that never wavers. That's what he's saying. He's saying you need to be rooted, you need to be built up in Christ, and you need to walk in Christ so that you will have a firm faith. An established faith is what he says. And how the consequences, listen to this, the consequences of an immovable trust in God. An immovable faith in God is thanksgiving, is a thankful heart. People, we all want to know how to have a thankful heart, every single one of us. How, how do we have, how can we live a life that is more thankful? How can we live a life that is more full of gratitude? Because let's just be honest, whenever you are living life in a thankful mood, it's more fun. It's a lot more fun. But whenever you're walking around and you don't feel so thankful, Maybe stuff's going on and you're just like, I don't even know what to be thinking. Those are the, those are the most miserable times to live in. Yeah. And so he gives us the key of how we can be thankful. And he says it's walking in Christ. It's being rooted and built up and having a strong faith where you just walk around and trust him with every single thing that's going on in your life. And, and you're going to end up with a thankful heart. And today he's going to expound on that. Today he's going he's to talk about what in detail of what it means to walk in Christ. But before we get there, I want to remind you guys of a change that has happened in your heart if you've put your faith and trust in Christ. I want to remind you of a change. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has put their faith and trust in Christ, he is a, read it, new creation. You're a brand new person, okay? You, that means there was an old you, and now there is a new you. And he says, the old passed away, behold, the new has come. That's something that has taken place in every single person who has put their faith in Christ. Within, and think about this, within that new person, okay, the new you, within that new you, the Bible says that God places a new heart. What does that mean? It means that he's given you new desires. That, that new heart now has desires for godly things. When before you were new, whenever you were in your old self, you did not have desires for godly things. 
And how was life going? Not real well whenever you look at it, right? In retrospect, it wasn't going as, as good as you know it now. And so he gives you new desires. He also puts within you the Holy Spirit, who is our helper. Praise God. And helper in living out and carrying out those new godly desires. It's like, I've got these godly desires. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you do. And I'm going to keep reminding you of those godly desires. And I'm going to help you. And I'm going to give you strength to live out those godly desires. To live out that new life. To put off the old life. And to continue to kill it. Because... The Holy Spirit helps us because those desires that we had in our old life, they never fully go away. So we need help. We need the Lord's help. They still nag at us. They still bribe us back into this filthy and, and corrupt lifestyle. But I'm going to use a big word real quick. It's called sanctification. All right? Big word, sanctification. What does that mean? Well, well it comes after salvation. And all that means is that you are learning to live and look more like Jesus. You are learning to live in that new life. And you are slowly, or whatever pace you're at, getting rid of that old life. That's called sanctification. You're, you're becoming sanctified. All right. And, and one thing I do want to reiterate, because all of this plays into what we're talking about today. I want to reiterate, though, that a person should not seek to live like Christ in order to be saved. Okay? A person, a person should not seek to live like Christ in order to be saved, in order to be made right before God. Living a life like Christ lives comes from a heart that has already been saved. You cannot do it until you have already put your faith and trust in Christ. Because the Holy Spirit will help you to do that. Alright? So in our scripture today, Paul describes some of what walking in Christ looks like. And, and guys, let's be, I'm just going to be honest. Like, we're going to get beat up a little bit today. Right? I mean, we're, our toes are going to get stepped on a little bit today uh, because Paul's about to get up in our business. All right? You're probably going to feel a little bit uncomfortable today. You're probably going to have a moment where you're sitting there and you're going to feel like the Lord is like, mm -hmm. <laughs> All right? But what, what are we going to do with that? I need you to decide that right now. Like, are you going to decide to ignore that and go ahead and live that old life? Or are you going to heed those instructions and say, Lord, you know best. You know best, so I'll surrender that. Because, guys, as, I've been, as I was studying this, I'm almost like, I can't preach this. Like, I, I need to sit and listen to it be preached. Like, that, that's where the Lord was at in my heart. And so it's going to, it's going to get all of us today. But he's going to give us some practical examples of what walking in Christ looks like. He's going to give us a list of actions that describe what the old life looked like and what the new life in Christ should look like. Actions and attitudes that are sinful and actions and attitudes that are righteous and describe Jesus himself. So, he's going to bring up thankfulness as the result as well. All right. So, today the sermon is entitled, Rooted in a Thankful New Life. Rooted in a thankful new life. So if you want to write that down, that's going to be what we circle around this whole entire time. Every single sermon that we've done in this series has been rooted in something. And so today is rooted in a thankful new life. So let's dig right in. Verse 5, uh, right at the beginning, 5a, this is, what, this is the instruction that the Lord gives us through Paul. 
All right? I want us to always remember that. We say things like, Paul wrote this, but it was the Lord who was speaking this through Paul. So let's remember this. So in 5a, it says this, so put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. A new person, a person who has been saved, this is, this is how you live out sanctification. You are going to put to death the sinful, earthly things that are lurking within you. I want you to write this down or remember it, whatever you've got to think of. But this is, this is true. The consequence of my sin has been put to death through Jesus. Okay? The consequence of my sin has been put to death, but my compulsion to sin hasn't. The consequences of my sin have been put to death, but the compulsion to sin has not been put to death until you put it to death. It's something that you've got to put to death. Every day you wake up, Ephesians says that there's a war inside of you, and you know it well. Whenever you hear this, you're like, yes, no, I understand that. There's a war inside of you. It's, it's the flesh versus the spirit. That old self versus the new self. Here's what it says in Galatians 5.17. For the desires of the flesh, that's your old life, are against the spirit. That's your new life. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Wow, that's great, isn't it? That's encouraging. These are opposed to each other so uh, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. We have to know that within ourselves. We have to know that just because we put our faith and trust in Christ, it doesn't mean that we're going to wake up and be like, yay, no sin anymore. <laughs> right? No, instead, instead, think about it. It actually gets worse because before there was no fight. And now that you put your faith in Christ, there's a fight. There's a war every single time you wake up that you're going to have to fight. The, conse the consequence of sin is dead and buried, but the action of sin we have to kill and we have to bury every single day of our lives. And the best way that we can do that is to identify them. So Paul does that for us in the next few verses, all right? It's not an exhaustive list. You're not going to find all the sins ever. Uh, in these next few scriptures, but he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna hit us pretty hard with a few. It's enough to get us started and keep us busy. That's for sure. And he comes out of the gate and goes straight for sexual sin. It's the first thing he comes up with: sexual sin. Let's read it. Verse five. It says this: So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with. All right. So the way of saying put to death. Have nothing to do with. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. You see, I think whenever he's talking about evil desires, and I think whenever he's talking about a greedy person, he's talking about it in the context of sexual sin. Because this is what this first group is right here. He's talking about the old life, the life that's in opposition to Christ's life, the life that was killing us, right, and what we must kill. And so here's what he says. He says sexual immorality. Let's talk about these just for a second. The Greek word actually that, that Paul wrote here, whenever he actually wrote it, he was writing in Greek, the word that he wrote there is the Greek word porneia. Guess what comes from that word? Uh-huh. And it encompasses, what this means is, that word, whenever Paul wrote it down, what the definition of that word is, is it encompasses all sexual sin or impurities. 
He's saying everything that is outside of the bounds of what God has said. In English, grab that word and derive the word pornography from it. So if you're wondering if it's not a good thing, I mean, they use literally that word, okay? He includes lust, and he includes evil desires, which he uses synonymously here. One is the sin, and other, uh, the other describes it. What is lust? It's evil desire. Lust is evil desire. The scripture is talking about sexual <coughs> passion or desire for someone who is not your spouse. It's further than just thinking someone is attractive. Man, we all just going to walk out of here then and go, I need Jesus, right? I mean, that's what I'm saying. He's going to step on all of our toes. And then he says, don't be greedy. And that word is also translated in the ESV as covetousness. And, uh, and maybe you guys know that um, from uh, the Big Ten commandments, right? Um, whenever he says, don't covet, that's one of the Ten Commandments, and he gives us kind of a list of what not to covet. And so he's like, don't covet your neighbor's house, right? And then he says, don't covet your neighbor's spouse. And then he says, don't covet your neighbor's donkey. <laughs> I haven't struggled with that one yet. But you know, maybe. <laughs> but it says, Paul says, all right, Paul says a greedy or covetous person is an idolater is an idolatry, worshiping the things of this world. And you're like, wait a minute. So we're adding that. We're adding greed in with sexual sin, but he's talking about idolatry. And let me just propose this for a minute. Sexual sin, see if you agree with this, has become a worshipped idol to a lot of people in our world. It has become a worshipped idol to a lot of people in our world. Listen to this. I'm going to throw some things at you guys. The porn industry generates more income than the combined revenues of ABC, NBC, and CBS, and more than the combined revenues of the NFL, NBA, and MLB, Major League Baseball. 70% of men in the U.S. admit to watching it, 40% of women. 95% of the U.S. population admits to having premarital sex. 25% of married men admit to having an affair, and 15% of women admit to it. We, we have definitely taken something that God has gifted us with that is supposed to be incredible and amazing, and we've perverted it, and we've made it an idol. We've become greedy for it. We have evil desires for it, because we want to use it apart from the way that God gifted it to us to use it for. And that's what he's talking about whenever he's talking about that word, sexual immorality. Scripture calls all these things and several other things sexual immorality. And, uh, and, and some people might go, you know what, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Well, Paul tells us in verse 6 why it's such a big deal. Listen to what he says. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Wait, what? That, that's, wow. That's kind of dark, but it's true. Because listen to what, what he's really saying. He's saying that these sins are a part of why the death of Christ was necessary. The cost for those sins, they're not a big deal. They sent Jesus to the cross. Don't think that they're not a big deal. They grieve the heart of God. And I want to explain it this way. They grieve the heart of a very good and loving God. I want us to understand that. God doesn't just say, hey, stop it. You quit. 
I want, to, I want you to not have fun. You know that the heart of the Father is protective? The heart of the Father is loving? And whenever he asks us to do something, it's not because he's like, I'm God and you're not, right? Sometimes we tell our kids, just do it because I said so, right? That's not him. It's not just because he said so because he just made something up. I'm bored. I want some more rules for these guys, so let's throw these in the mix. They're very purposeful. Very, very, very purposeful. And I want you to think about this. If everyone followed God's design for sex, the porn industry would not exist. It wouldn't exist. And neither would prostitution. And these two industries are the reason sex trafficking exists. In 2022, 4.8 million people were trafficked in the world and forced against their will to participate in the sex industry. One million of them were children. 99% of the 4.8 million were women and girls. Do you see God's protection? Do you see why God says, use, use it as I've designed it. Don't pervert it and misuse it because of the damage that it causes. With the absence of sexual immorality in the world, divorce would dramatically decrease. Adultery would disappear. Meaning broken marriages and broken homes would be in the great minority. Relational jealousy would tank. That'd be nice, right? Because we just trust. Relational mistrust would tank as well. STDs, Nope. So think of all the harm and brokenness that, that has come from sexual immorality. Old life. Old life. That's not what he's called you to. That's not what he's called you to live in the new life. And we have the opportunity to do it right. We get another chance to do it right. Paul says in, in verse 7, he says, you used to do these things when your life was still a part of the world. person who is new in Christ has the opportunity to start over and to rid themselves of sexual immorality, to die to self, to honor God and walk in Christ and do things as he intended and created. And in return, we get to experience the blessing and fruit that comes from it. And it's good. I've never met a person that was like, man, I really miss pornography. That's a Christian. But I've met a lot of Christians who were like, praise God, that's out of my life. I've met a lot of them. And what that's going to produce is it's going to continue to produce a thankful heart in you. Paul moves on from sexual sin, and everybody said, okay, good. And, uh, and then goes on to another group, but it's also relational. That was relational. This is also relational in this other group. It's how we treat one another. Look at verse 8 through 9. He says, but now is the time to get rid of. So he's like, this is part of old life. Get rid of it. Now is the time to get rid of anger and rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. And if you were looking for a scripture that says don't use curse words, that's not the one. I'm sorry, it, it's, it's not in context of, of what it's saying here, um, which doesn't also give you a license, all right, also, okay? But 
He seems to be targeting how our sinful nature and acts react towards others. It's how, we're, how we treat others. And we, whenever we focus on walking in Christ, it should show in how we treat other people. So he talks about being unrighteously angry that can lead to rage, all right, which is also translated wrath. It's the idea of outbursts or seeking vengeance because something happened to you. Uh-oh. Like, I think we're all in trouble right now, right? It's, it's, uh, he mentions malicious behavior, which is doing harm to someone, no matter how small it is. Slandering is, is synonymous with malicious behavior because it's doing the same thing. It's causing harm or injury to someone's reputation. And when he says dirty language, another translation translates it obscene talk. So in context, he's, he means towards others. He's like, don't, don't talk with obscene talk towards another person. Look, we live in New York. We step outside our door, and all we hear is that. That's what he's talking about. Like, it doesn't take us very long to walk. All you need to do is accidentally step out in front of a car whenever you don't have the right of way. Obscene talk happens. All right? Maybe you've been guilty of some obscene talk. Maybe, maybe you're driving your car or you're riding your bike or you're walking and there was a car or there was a bike or there was someone walking, <laughs> right? That, that just gets under your skin and you, you say something about that person in that moment, whether it's under your breath, whether it's rolling down your window and letting them know, all right? Like those kinds of things happen. He says, look, that's, that's old life. That's old self. That's not what he's called, called us to live. And then, of course, lying to each other is what he includes there. And again, these types of actions go against God's design for how we're to treat one another. And we all know the damage that has been caused to others and the damage that has been caused to us as a result of those things. You see, again, God's a good God. Like, sometimes we just want to get it out. We just want to be angry, right? It just feels good to be angry in the moment. But I've never met someone who was angry, lashed out in anger, and walked away and went, that, that felt right. <laughs> but I have met a lot of people who suppressed that anger and went, okay, good, because that really could have messed some stuff up. How many broken relationships do we know because someone lashes out at someone else? How awkward are some of these Thanksgiving tables going to be on Thursday when they have to go see family and the last time they talked it was lashing out. See the damage? God's like, look, strip all of that off. Get rid of all of those things. Why? Because you have a new identity in Christ. And that's not who you are anymore. I saw a video um, not too long ago where um, a guy was interviewing a homeless man. And, uh, and, and he, had, he had seen this guy. I don't know why he chose this guy to, to talk to, but the, I guess maybe the guy agreed to talk. Um, but he was talking to this homeless man. And uh, the guy was talking about you know, how he became homeless. He said he was homeless for over 10 years. Um, he said that he just fell on hard times, made some mistakes. Um, and, uh, and, and so he's been homeless. Uh, he spoke about um, you know, just kind of his life. Uh, but one thing that came up that I thought was really, really interesting is whenever they asked him, like, what's, what's kind of the hardest thing about being homeless? He was like, it's how people treat me. Mm. And, uh, and he said, um, it's because they avoid me. And 
He knew the reason why. And it's because he didn't smell good. And all of you guys, you guys have been on a train, right? Whenever there's someone that's in the train and, and you get on and immediately you're like, I need to go to the next train. Because, because I mean, and that's what he said. He said there, there are people who get on the train and then they will just hold their nose. He was like, they can't wait to get off. He said that he's actually many times um, seen people gag. He said a couple of times he's seen, he's, seen, he's seen people throw up, all because of the stench that was coming from him. And he, and he, was, he, he was wearing these clothes, all right, and he had one set of clothes, and he said, these are my clothes, because he was like, do you have, you know, what do you have? And he was like, these are my only clothes. And, uh, and what it was was like a, a t-shirt, he had a jacket on, and then he had some sweatpants on that were, the guy said were like, stained real bad and, and kind of damp and he had some shoes that, that uh, were just no good. Um, and the guy was like, well, uh, he was like, how long has it been since you've taken a shower? And the guy said, I take two showers a week. Mm. I take two showers a week. But here's the problem. He immediately puts back on his clothes. And he's like, can I get you some new clothes? And he's like, no, these are my clothes. You see, can you imagine being cleaned and then putting back on something so putrid? I don't know if you see where I'm going. <laughs> but the truth is we do the same thing every time we choose to put back on our old self. Every time we choose to put that on, we just put it right back on. And we go right back into it. Paul is saying, hey, you're a new person now in Christ. And with a new person comes new clothes. With a new person comes clean clothes. So stop trying to put back on the filth of your old self that brings you nothing but putrid rot in your life. And put on some clean clothes clothes. Look at verse 10, because now he's going to talk about what the clean clothes are. Put on your new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him, aka sanctification. Verse 12 says this, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, be convinced of that. He loves, you must clothe yourself. When we talked about stripping off before, now he's talking about clothing. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy. Notice again, he's talking about relational action. He's talking about how we treat one another, all right? And it's the exact opposite of what he mentioned earlier. He says, put on kindness, not anger. Put on humility. Put on gentleness. Put on patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. You feel these new clothes? These clothes are different. These clothes are different than the clothes that, that we had on before. This is something that sounds good. These things sound clean. They sound pure. He says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. I love the words he's using here. He's using Clothe yourselves with love. Love is going to produce peace. It comes from Christ. 
For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. See, he ended it again with being thankful. And I want to reverse engineer that scripture real quick. Where, where, does, where does a thankful life come from? What immediately precedes that? It comes from a content and peaceful life. Thankful heart comes from a peaceful life. Does that not make sense? Of course. Whenever you're at peace with everything, a thankful heart naturally shows up. And do you know where a content and peaceful life comes from? Well, he just said it comes from a life that is clothed in love for others. As you love others, what it's going to create in you is peace. And what that's going to create is thankfulness. And where, where does a life clothed in love come from? It comes from someone who truly understands the love that God has for them. You truly understand the love that God has for you through the tender-hearted mercy that you've been shown by him, through the kindness that has been shown to you by him, through the gentleness that has been shown to you by him, and the patience that has been shown to you by him, you're able to produce these things because his kindness led us to repentance. We're able to produce these things as well. And guys, these are the clothes that Jesus wore. These are the clothes that Jesus wore and the clothes that he's asking all of us to put on as well. Would you guys agree, um, from what you know about Jesus, that, um, that he lived a life of, of constant and, and perpetual thanksgiving? Yes. Yeah. I would say, yeah, he has. And the same life is offered to us through him. The same life is offered to us through him. And we'll close with, uh, with these last words of admonishment here to them. And this is in uh, verse 16 and 17. It's the last thing that he says. He's like, hey, hey, new person, new person, live this way. Maybe put this on your mirror this, this week. Let the word of Christ, which is scripture, right? Let the word of Christ dwell, means take up a comfort residency. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing and counseling one another and all the wisdom that came from you dwelling in the, the word of God. And then he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's, that's worshiping together. And he says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You've been given a new identity in Christ. You've been given a brand new life. So strip off the old clothes and put on the new ones. And do it from a thankful heart for all that God has done to save you through Christ. And it will produce in you a thankful life. Do it from a thankful heart. It will produce a thankful life. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.